Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the AFC Here You We Go podcast. Delighted to be back with you again this week. Uh, my name is Martin Clunas. I'll be your host for the evening. As always, um, we just can't shake him off. Uh, we have Richard Hay with us. How are you doing, Richard? Evening, Martin. I'm good, thank you, Richard. I didn't ask if you were good. Ah, okay, no problem. <laughs> and we're delighted to welcome back onto the show. Ah, well, he's a, he's a veteran of these things now, which is uh, journalist Ben Palmer. How are you doing, Ben? I'm good, and how are you, Martin? <laughs> well, th- well, thank you very much for asking, Ben. It's always a pleasure when someone on the show cares about how I'm doing. So, yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. It's it's really nice of you to ask. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> no problem. But we're going to get straight into yesterday's game against Celtic. Um, away at Parkhead, finish 0-0. Richard, before the game, obviously we found out that Gary McKay-Steven and Niall McGinn missed, out, missed the match completely. James Wilson was the only change, though he came in for Gary McKay-Steven. That choice, it didn't really it didn't really work for us, did it? Um, that first half, uh, the midfield, as you would expect from, from a Celtic team, with some, with some decent players in there, completely outnumbered us, completely overran us. And in that first half, we didn't compete with zero shots on goal. No, uh, I think it was obviously McInnes' attempt to keep the system which uh, had worked fairly well in the home game against the Rangers the week before. Obviously James Wilson coming in for the fact that both Niall McGinn and Guy McKay-Steven who'd played that uh, left wing role the week before were injured which was unfortunate. Uh, Many people might point fingers at them and and say they've not had uh, great seasons and they've certainly not had stellar seasons but they are when they're in the team important to how we uh, play and how we go about our business. James Wilson playing on the left didn't really work and we definitely needed, as I think we have done on a few occasions this season to be perfectly honest, that extra head in midfield. Dean Campbell coming on, sat, allowed uh, Lewis Ferguson a bit more uh, opportunity to get forward, allowed Graham Cheney to do more of his usual job. It just got more out of us as a team and certainly we not only stifled Celtic much more because it did feel in that first half as if it was we were just sitting back and waiting for Celtic to score. But it got us further up the pitch, we were able to press the ball much higher, turn the ball over much higher and subsequently actually create some chances, some really half-decent chances as well, which uh, certainly in the case of Lewis Ferguson opportunity and the Stevie May opportunity, we need to be working the goalkeeper in those situations. You mentioned, obviously, you mentioned Dean Campbell coming on there. Uh, ben, no, um, the midfield, as, as Richard says, says there, the midfield coped much better with having that extra body in there. Um, that's a, that was a big performance from him in the second half from, from a guy that's only 17 years old. Uh, you take him on, right? I mean, if he's still only 17, but he's got such a big future ahead of him. He's such a calm passer of the ball, which is very rare in a player of his age. Um, and at odd times, I've seen him play for the reserves. He stands out head and shoulders above everybody else. And I kind of made a comparison yesterday to Twitter as well that he's similar to how Kenny McLean would carry the ball forward. I mean, their posture's very similar, both left-footed and the way they pass the ball's very similar technique, although he's not going to step into that Kenny McLean role straight away. There's certainly the potential there to be a player of the similar ilk to that McLean was before he went down to Norwich. I think it's very telling that... Uh, of Dean Campbell's six sub-appearances so far that three of them have actually come against Celtic. Uh, two of them at Parkhead in, in games where we haven't actually conceded a goal. So 
you wouldn't just throw in any 17-year-old in that sort of situation. And not only that, obviously he is captain of that reserve team as well. Again, at such a young age. So obviously there are high hopes for him. I know what that tends to lead to whenever you've got a player like this is for supporters to want him thrown in all the time. But I think his development is probably best served right now, taking it slowly because... You know, we're a team with a degree of expectation about us, and uh, it's the sort of thing that could damage a younger footballer if, uh, if it's not handled correctly. But it's obviously very encouraging to see that he can come in and change the course of the game on, on uh, in a big stage like he did on Saturday. You make a good point there about him playing against Celtic three times of his six appearances or whatever it is. I mean, given that the squad is a little bit stretched at the minute going to Ibrox on Tuesday, because he has that experience in the big games, playing at Celtic Park, playing in front of big crowds, playing against good opposition, I mean, surely McInnes has to ponder whether to play him down at Ibrox. I mean, it's a, it's a real possibility, I think, going into Tuesday's game. It has to be a consideration, definitely. I think as well what was telling was that um, he was brought on ahead of guys like Stephen Gleeson, ahead of mm-hmm. maybe the opportunity to shuffle things up at the back and move Don Ball into that uh, centre midfield role. So so it's obviously a, a, a vote of confidence in him. I mean, he's been in the majority of matchday squads as well this year. And again, it feels like he's been around for a long, long time since he made uh, that fleeting debut at the end of season 2016-17. But uh, there's still a long way for Dean to go. And uh, it's obviously going to be interesting and exciting to see him over the next couple of seasons. Uh, you look at the squad we'll have as well, Ben. There's a lot of youth in there. Uh, well, I think there's a lot of reasons to be po- going po- going forward. A lot of reasons to be positive for the future. We'll have he may not be here for a long time, but we have Scott McKenna who's 22. Cosgrove's also 22. Ferguson and McLennan are 19. Dean Campbell, as we mentioned, is 17. So is Ethan Ross, who came on towards the end of the game. I mean, we have we obviously have the on loan Max Lowe, who's 21 as well. You look at that for where we are at the table as well at the business end of the table. Having such a young squad is really it bodes well. And don't forget as well, you've got Scott Wright out of Mora Dundee, you've got Bruce Anderson out of Mora Dunfermline. They're probably going to come back better players than what they left in January. The thing that's important about these guys as well is McKenna's in a long-term deal, Lewis Ferguson's in a long-term deal, Sam Cosgrove's in a long-term deal. So the only reason these players are going to leave in the next few seasons is if big money comes in. Going forward, I mean, it is a very lucrative situation for Aberdeen to have these promising young players tied up in long term deals and of course you're looking from an RB perspective if you can keep this group of players together it probably couldn't mature into something special in the next few years I think it's always a, a note of caution though isn't it when you're, when you're dealing with young players because you, you, there's no guidebook in terms of how they're going to mature how they're actually going to turn out as senior professionals you know we've been in situations in the past where we've got properly excited about young talents and then they've they've absolutely frittered uh, fr- either frittered their own talent away uh, there's certainly a fairly recent example we could point towards that or there's been you know situations where maybe their heads have got turned by agents and moved on too quickly and not then got the game time that they need to develop it's encouraging absolutely and it's encouraging i suppose that uh, you know you've got a manager who will Clearly, if you're good enough, throw them in. I think it certainly turns it on its head. There was very often a criticism that he wouldn't develop youth and he wouldn't play youth. And it's, again, it's hard, isn't it? You know, would somebody like Declan McManus be a better footballer now if he got a lot more game time at a younger age? Or is he just at the level he was always destined to go to? It's one of those imponderables that you'll never know. It's the exact same with Warren Shankland as well. When he went out in his own spells at Aberdeen, there was nothing to suggest that he'd turn into the player that he is this season at Air United. These spells at Morton and St Mirren, you wouldn't expect him to be a player who's scoring a goal every other game now for Air United. So, like you said, it's very difficult to judge just how these players are going to develop. But there's an aspect as well that, as a support base, you're going to give a team that is playing its own youngsters, developing its own talent, a little bit more grace. It's a notoriously fickle and impatient Pataudry crowd. I know that because I'm part of it. But, um, I mean, look at the look at the grace that Craig Levine got simply by chucking in a lot of youngsters last season. Of course, this season, they're nowhere to be seen, really. So it remains to be seen whether, over the course of a fuller season, these guys will still get the opportunity. I certainly hope they will. You only have to look at Lewis Ferguson. 19 this season, I mean... I'd probably be in the camp for saying that he could have done it with a rest at certain points, but no, he's played pretty much every game he's been a, not suspended for, and he's he, he again had a very mature performance on Saturday. Mm-hmm. 
you mentioned earlier on, Richard, as well, of course, we had some, some good chances in the second half. None bigger, probably, than the chance that came to Stevie May at the end. Just can't get that header on target. You know, he's um, he's gotten rid of the beard. Is maybe, is he maybe, um, it's like Samson. Is that the effect that's happened to him there? Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know quite <laughs> what it is. It, it's not that he doesn't even get it on target. It's like the ball just hits him. It's like he's in completely the wrong body shape for the for the ball in. And I know it's it's not a, it's not going to be an easy chance to put away or even get on target. But it it just looks so awkward, and that's what he's looked for so often in an Aberdeen shirt. Awkward, not quite fitting in, not quite looking like that striker who at St Johnston just acted on instinct. We've mentioned it before, Ben. Um, I think that. A possibility could be is just there's a, the, the, he looks like a guy who has just got you know, his confluences through, through through the floor. Uh, he, he looks exactly like a player who scored three goals this season. Um, like you said, he, it's a difficult one because there's, there are little glimpses of this great talent that was at St Johnston, but the injury he suffered down south clearly set him back a number of years. And I mean, when he came up to Aberdeen last summer, it was kind of. It was a bit of an understanding. It might take him a year to get going. It might take him a bit of time just to get up to the speed of things again. But he hasn't really done that quickly enough. And considering what the Aberdeen paid, what, 400000 for him? He, he kind of needs to deliver soon. So, but one thing he, he does have in his favour is that he's very hard working, puts in a lot of yards for the team. And I think that has sort of won over quite a lot of the supporters in recent months, to be honest. I think what's uh, probably hindered him quite a bit is that he was pre-Christmas in that team every week, and okay, he wasn't scoring goals from open play, but he was contributing. You know what I mean? He was he was getting involved, he was creating goals, he was he was part of a team that was winning games. Then post winter break, you come back, Greg Stewart's been brought in, and he takes his place in the team, and it's not always been to the betterment of the team performance, to be perfectly honest. Um, so I feel a little bit sad for him in that respect, but absolutely, he he needs to be delivering more than just a lot of running about. I remember writing about it back in December as well, when Sam Cosgrove was on this magnificent run of goal scoring in every almost every game. It was because of this partnership with Stevie May that they weirdly sort of uh, came up with. I mean, May wasn't scoring goals, but he was certainly putting in the correct deliveries for Cosgrove, and were bouncing off each other. And they seem to have an understanding, but you're right, since Greg Stewart was taken in, um, it has limited the amount of uh, chances Stevie May's got. And of course, after the game, Richard, um, I'll, I'll give you a chance to comment on what is your favourite subject, um, or one of your favourite subjects. The excuse machine, Neil Lennon, was was in full effect again. Um, his team were psychologically fatigued with all the with all the um, brouhaha around the club. Um, he's that again, isn't he? Well, it's not a bad excuse, really. It's better than you know. <laughs> it's better than the state of the pitch and the wind. Um, you know, to quote one particularly recent example. But you know, football manager doesn't win a game he's expected to. There's always going to be some sort of excuse being proffered. In fairness, it's been relatively seamless for Celtic since Lennon went in. There was a couple of very awkward-looking away fixtures that he had first up, and he dealt with them. Pretty professionally. If anything, Neil Lennon being in there until the end of the season offers a sort of chink of light as far as that Scottish Cup where maybe one didn't exist while Brendan Rodgers was, was in. So we should be glad that Neil Lennon is is in that job at this point in time. Well, that was something I was going to say, actually. There, um, I'll put that to you, Ben, that uh, with Neil Lennon in charge, as opposed to Brendan Rodgers, in one-off games, Celtic look much more beatable. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I mean, you look at the players that Brendan Rodgers signed, the likes of Oliver Burke, the likes of Timothy Ware, who would have been mollycoddled by Rodgers, who would have been treated very nicely, just young players and sort of eased into things. Now, if they're not putting any yards under Neil Lennon, it'll be a very different sort of treatment they get from him. Um, he'll be a lot louder, he'll be a lot more aggressive in just how he, he goes about his uh, day-to-day work. Certainly, I think if I were to get through Tuesday, they'd be a lot more confident of beating a Neil Lennon Celtic team than they would a Brendan Rodgers Celtic team in the semi-final. But from his point of view, he's, he's not going to be overly happy with Celtic's display. It was pretty leaden throughout uh, that first 45. They probably didn't put their foot on the accelerator as much as they could to really take advantage their chances were pretty limited. Um, there was a few occasions where, where Johnson got the better of a Dom ball on the right-hand side. Some days the ball's not going to fall for you in, inside that box. We've had plenty of those ourselves at Pataudry this season. It, it's a sort of result that Brendan Rodgers Celtic 
really got there was more of a focus, more of an application. I think, and his that domestic cup record that Bernard Rodgers had was was actually incredible. To have not yeah. lost any of those games and the different sort of challenges that they would have put forward is actually remarkable, despite the resource advantage they have. Saturday also brought about another milestone, Joe Lewis. Um, it was his 50th clean sheet for Aberdeen, Ben. We've waxed lyrical about him on here so much. He's one of he's one of the kind of linchpins of our side, isn't he? I, I mean, I find it so bizarre with this sort of player who had a nomadic career down in England going from Stockport County, Moor County, Peterborough, teams like Cardiff, to not being anybody who particularly stood out, to all of a sudden coming north to Aberdeen and just being adored by supporters and sort of finally living up to the potential which he's clearly had all his career. Uh, great shot stopper. Uh, he commands his box a lot better now than he initially uh, did when he came up, which might just be with confidence we get in game time under his belt. He's happy here. He's, he's happy that he's playing regular football. I mean, it just seems to be a very happy relationship in both directions. Yeah, and well, I would like to see the club try and make it a more permanent arrangement. I wonder if um, in his situation, he's maybe waiting to see what happens with the manager. Both of their contracts run to the end of next season, run to summer 2020. It would be such a lift if we were able to get Joe Lewis extended for a couple of years, especially in the wake of obviously a couple of big players this season uh, refusing to extend. I think that the whole situation about, about a goalkeeper's career is that they can... They can be unfortunate. They, I mean, someone brought up the case of Danny Ward to us earlier. And there's a situation, there's a guy who's got all the talent in the world and he's played somewhere like 40 or 45 top team games and they're pretty much exclusively at Aberdeen and Huddersfield over uh, over a season and a half. It seems crazy, but of course Danny Ward's still young and it's certainly very young for a goalkeeper and there's lots of time to, to find a place where you can make that breakthrough and, and become as adored as Joe Lewis for us uh, is. But I think the thing that really surprises me about Lewis is that hasn't that we've known about, of course, been any concrete effort to try and lure him away. I'm, I'm really genuinely shocked at that. At 31 as well, certainly with how modern goalkeepers are, his best years are probably still ahead of him. Goalkeepers, you see them now playing well into the 30s, and still being as good as they've ever been. So if Aberdeen are going to push the boat out to tie anybody down to a, a decent life of contract, it probably should be Joe Lewis. You mentioned that there, Richard. I say somebody, somebody obviously mentioned on the feed to us about Danny Ward. I did see somebody else had also mentioned, and I thought it was, I thought it was a fairly valid point. That one of the most telling things about McInnes's time at Aberdeen is he tends to have got it right when he's looking for goalkeepers, doesn't he? Um, I don't know about that. Uh, in fairness, um, I nearly gave myself an aneurysm on a few occasions shouting at Jamie Langfield, even under, <laughs> even during the um, Dirk McInnes period. You know, then we got Scott Brown, who was a very atypical McInnes signing, and he came from the lower leagues down in England, and there was an attempt to try and, you know, obviously he he liked some of the characteristics that that Scott brought uh, to the table, but there was obviously an attempt to level him up whilst he was here. Um, whereas Joe Lewis, a guy that was held as one of the next big things early in his career but hadn't really played over the last few years. It, it was a sort of different kind of signing for uh, McInnes to make. When we got the, both him and Neil Alexander on the same day, it, to me it kind of sp- it spoke about a bit of a sea change, to be perfectly honest, from what had gone before. Guys maybe on loan for a year, or sticking with Jamie Langfield, or, or bringing, in, um, bringing in Scott Brown. It, it did, it just spoke of, you right, okay, we're going to take this seriously, we're going to bring in... We're going to bring in a guy who may or may not work as first choice, but has certainly got the background and the pedigree to give it a go. But if that doesn't work, we're going to get a guy that was playing every game of the uh, season for the team that finished just below us in the league last year. And it, it just felt that that was a bit of a sea change in how we'd look at the goalkeeping operation. And I think as well, of course, you've got to bear in mind that during McInnes' time here, he's he's actually changed goalkeeping coach as well. He's he brought in Gordon Marshall quite early in his uh, quite early during his time here. So I suppose decisions about goalkeepers are going to be deferred to him, I would imagine. There's no question, if we can get Joe Lewis signed up for another couple of years, that would probably be one of the better bits of business we do this summer. And now, before we move on to talking about the the upcoming Scottish Cup quarterfinal replay, everybody in his dog has had their had their t- tuppence in thrown in on this one, and there's no reason why we shouldn't as well. There's been some unsavoury incidents, I suppose we'll say, over the last 
last sort of week to 10 days within Scottish football. Firstly, Richard, we obviously saw at the Rangers game, away section vandalised again. We saw 40 seats broken. Um, the club announced uh, they'll be billing Rangers for those seats. Um, seats getting launched launched across the fence again. It's, that's not what we want to see. No, In terms of Aberdeen, how do we stop that? Is it just as simple as maybe putting up a net? Do we reduce their away allocation? What can we do? We need to distinguish maybe from the outset when we're having this discussion between acts of what are criminal vandalism and maybe acts which are simply things which individuals might find offensive but yeah. are going to be part, basically, of what makes football football. Because if you take away that sort of rivalry between opposing fans completely and you try and sanitise it completely, then you're left with rugby and nobody wants that, do they? <laughs> In terms of how, how you stop a support, whether that be a home support or an away support, damaging the fabric of a stadium, it, it's impossible to do unless you, unless you like really overwhelm them with police numbers, unless you actually start taking direct action uh, when these events are occurring. And I think the current policing strategy uh, around Scotland is to not to do anything at the time, but to actually try and pick people up after the event, which um, in some circumstances, I understand that, they don't want to create a scene, a scenario where further lawlessness might occur, but I think if you were to start wading in there and pulling out some of them, it would pretty damn quickly stop what is happening, and that relates to whether you want to stop seats being ripped out, or whether you want to stop offensive singing, which, you know, to my mind... I'm not really fussed about what anybody sings or what anybody sticks on a banner, to be perfectly honest. I know I know some other people will be, and I certainly don't think that it makes any sense for, for any support to be to be giving us lessons in Irish history, but, you know, if they want to sing about it, it doesn't really upset me that much. But, but folk chucking bottles or chucking coins or chucking seats, it's just mindless, really stupid, and it's criminal behaviour. I do a lot of things in the confines of a football ground that, that I wouldn't think of doing walking down the street on a normal Saturday afternoon. Don't get me wrong, but but I certainly wouldn't ever consider ripping out a seat or, or chucking a bottle or, or doing anything like that. I just, I'm aware of acting differently at the football, but I think a lot of people believe that they just should have carte blanche to do whatever the hell they like at football, and that's obviously wrong. I definitely feel there's a bit of a cultural thing, a bit of a societal thing going on here. We all use social media, we all see the benefits of social media, but there's also an incredibly dark side to it. And you can get away with writing absolute nonsense on here, be just criticising people and being quite slanderous. And people all of a sudden think you can take this into a football environment and get away with it for 90 minutes. And I mean, that's just not the case at all. Like you said, Richard, if you're walking down the street in Aberdeen, you would not get off with half of the stuff that is getting people are getting off of in football grounds at the minute, it just wouldn't happen. I mean, it's just day after day now, certainly in the last week. And you even see the south of the border today, um, and the Aston Villa Birmingham game with Jack Grealish. I mean, this isn't just limited to Scotland, the West Coast. This is a societal issue now. So it's a lot bigger than just saying that Aberdeen need to put up a fence between the Rangers and Aberdeen support in the South Stand. This is something where... The games governing bodies, perhaps even the government need to step in and have a louder voice in this and say, look, something needs to be done now. I mean, we used to have the, obviously, we used to have the Offensive Behaviour at Football Act. You know, if you look at the cases on who was the people, it was used to kind of pick on the kind of the lone nutter. It was the kind of, it was one guy who stood up and says, oh, for fuck's sake, Aberdeen or something like that. And I, no, I'm sure it was the mother, I think it was the Motherwell podcast guys who put someone in their feed for somebody at Motherwell was was lifted for doing just that, basically swearing at a game. Stewart went in, picked up, picked on one guy. No, the frustrations I think it comes from that is in why it was gotten rid of because nothing was really done about. And I understand Richard says no, this I don't really care about the singing. You know, let them sing what they want. Doesn't really bother me. There's large groups of fans, and I'm not just referring to this as Celtic and Rangers as well. That's certainly not it. There's large groups of fans that really are are just there, and it's and it's an atmosphere around some of them are, are poison. Uh, and that's how you, that's how you, it needs to. And something needs to be done to be dealing with that. It isn't just a case of, we'll get this one guy. Richard mentioned earlier. I know if the police were to start wading in, things would change, and they absolutely would. But I can understand why the coppers at Petardry, in front of let's just for, the, for argument's sake, the Rangers section last Sunday. If there's twenty coppers, 
I probably wouldn't be keen to wade into 2,000 Rangers fans trying to pick one or two out to lift them. I think a large part of the problem is that the police have seeded quite a lot of the, certainly the body numbers inside the ground when it comes to um, looking after the situation to stewards. And stewards are, are, are frankly worse than useless. They're there to kind of show you to your seat and I don't see the kind of security benefit of them. I, I mean, I can tell you a story about how Way back in 2000, um, I got to the Hamden, me and my mate got to the Hamden area ridiculously early, like 10 o'clock, nowhere was open for beer, so we, we ended up round the back of one of the, one of the pubs at the, uh, at the east end of Hamden, and, uh, joining us for a beer around the back of one of these pubs was a couple of stewards who were gonna be on, uh, on duty at Hamden later that afternoon, which gave me great, <laughs> great, um, comfort knowing that, uh, they were gonna be looking after us later on. It, I mean, you're talking, you're talking about guys who are doing uh, doing this job on a Saturday, probably doing it part-time, and it'll be a, a dare say it's a job at a minimum wage. They're not going to put themselves into a, a situation where they're going to get into danger or bother or have to deal with someone screaming at their face, and why should they? Why should they? But yeah, maybe we do need to look at the police, and maybe the police do need to start you know, being a bit more proactive at the games themselves, and to nipping this trouble in the bud rather than letting it happen, and then after the event going and rapping on somebody's door at six o'clock in the morning because because the atmosphere in stadiums I think is probably getting worse. I think the, the issue with social media I've seen that used quite a few times today, in particular with regards to the incident at Birmingham. It's not as if we didn't have problems. It's not as if we didn't have idiots running onto the pitch pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, pre-whatever. Are people abusive on Instagram? I don't know. Running out the pitch, even then there can be instances. Like the, the guy that ran out the pitch in the, at the cup final in, uh, in November against Celtic and he ended up having to stay in prison over Christmas. I mean... He wasn't seeking to do any harm. He wasn't confronting any football. Of course, he shouldn't have been on the pitch. Everyone knows that he shouldn't have been on the pitch. But And then, you know, he, that gets exacerbated because in trying to get him off the pitch, he struggles and he, he's done for, he, you know, he's done for resisting a, arrest. And I don't know if he got done for, like, assault of a police officer or whatever else he might or might not have got done with. Yeah. Obviously, there are a lot of factors. I don't know if social media really is one other than just young lads getting... Too much drink down their neck, acting in a sort of bravado way that they will do in front of a, in front of their mates, in front of a large, boisterous travelling support. And yeah, if there are no repercussions at the time, then things are just going to get escalated and escalated and escalated. And that's how you end up with, you know, bottles being thrown at players, and you end up with seats being ripped out and thrown across. So you end up with coins being thrown. And it's I noticed today as well the SPFL put out a statement condemning. The incident at Easter Road uh, with James Tavernier on Friday night. And it almost felt that we were kind of forced into doing it when the English Football League put out a statement incredibly quickly after the Grealish incident today. I mean, like I said uh, just a few minutes ago, the SPFL and the SFA need to be more proactive. Leanne Dempster, I mean, it was quite admirable what she did after the game on Friday night in terms of coming out saying, oh, we could shut down the stand, we could do this, we could do that. Well, somebody needs to do something. Otherwise, it's just going to continue to escalate until some serious action is taken. But, as I said at the outset, I don't want a situation where it's completely sanitised, because I think that is no. part of the allure of football, absolutely. And yeah. maybe yeah. maybe in Scotland we go a bit over the top, and you know our USP is basically hatred. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it, it'll, in any league you play, in any game, I mean, you know, the classical uh, pig's heads being chucked on the, at Figo and things, you know, that's, that's pretty extreme. But uh, up here in Scotland we've got our own little uh, local issues, obviously, but it, it does seem right now... Now and maybe just the the fact that you've got you've got a team with a massive chip on their shoulder who, who genuinely think now that they've they're in amongst it in amongst the big time for the first time in a couple of years and it's there's a lot of factors adding to the melting pot and it's it's routinely going over the top now whereas these sort of things might have happened once every three or four years now it seems to be happening like once a month. One of the reasons that Aberdeen versus Rangers is such a good fixture. Uh, from a journalistic point of view because there's so much spice to it there's so many sort of narratives around this game but you need to get the balance right as well of course you don't watch seats being thrown 
from the away end to the home end. I mean, this is how sanitised we are. I, 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 a couple of days ago, I had to come up with a list of all the incidents that had happened in Scottish football this season. Almost forgot about a kid being hit by a vodka bottle on the first day of the season. We're almost becoming sanitised to these things. Uh, whereas, you see, in terms of getting the balance right, you see the club putting out a letter because a fan flipped the middle finger at Stephen Gerrard. I mean, come on. I mean, that's one of the things that makes a game so good is just that it's that sheer visceral hatred there. And it was a brilliant photo. It truly was a brilliant photo. Because clearly Gerrard wasn't, you know, like no. that pissed off. He was <laughs> giving a bit back and that's fine. The other thing which actually annoys me is when fans spend 90 minutes uh, going rad at a player and he might score or he might give a little bit back and then the fans are like, oh, you know, shouting at the steward to get on and arrest him. Yeah. That annoys the hell out of me as well. Just, you know, there should be a bit of give and take, and it should be an atmosphere where, uh, I, I mean, obviously, we're not ones to stick up for, for James Tavernier, but he shouldn't have been in that situation. And okay, mm-hmm. to be honest, you look at it and it's clear the lad's after the ball, first of all, but that, that confrontation is something that should never have happened. The, the pitch should be, should be sacrosanct. I had to laugh when Joe Worrell equalised for Rangers last week at Pitodre. Uh, Goldson and Morelos came over to the main stand beating their chest and sort of giving it, getting it up here to the home stand. And an English journalist turned around next week was if that was in the Premier League you'd be getting a booking for that. It was like if, we, if those two players had been booked for celebrating like that it would have been absolute carnage again. It just again just shows the sort of differences and attitudes that we have to our um, the sport down south I suppose. It's one thing. If you, I think, if you take, you were saying, Richard, if you take the needle and the hatred out of the game up here as well. I mean, for me, there's no greater pleasure than seeing that surge at the fence when Aberdeen score against Rangers. Some of the videos that come out of that is that's passion there. That's that's the kind of thing you want to see at the game. That is that kind of get it up, you sort of thing. Yeah, that's actually an, that's actually an interesting point about that area of the ground and sort of organically over the past couple of seasons. Now we're not seeding that area to Celtic or the Rangers when they come up. Obviously, you know, people can be in that uh, part of the ground every week, buy season tickets there, and organically, people who like to stand, uh, people who, who won't stand for 90 minutes have moved away, and it, it, it's become, again, what it used to be probably 15, 20 years ago, a bit more, there's a bit more of an atmosphere there now every single week, and it's not really being stewarded, you're not being told to sit down or anything like that, so, you know, when I hear people moaning excessively about the letter which the lad in the main stand got, which I, which I think was too heavy-handed, absolutely. And then going Raj because the Daily Record reckons that the club are out to find the people with the Morellis banner last week. And, and they're going Raj at the club. And I think, you know, the club is trying in many instances to... to Allow an atmosphere, and I think that part of the south stand right by the fence is one. It's probably right now one of the one of the better areas in the Premier League that you will get that sort of visceral uh, football experience when we score a goal against a team with a decent travelling support because you're right in amongst it. I said earlier this season I was right at the segregation for the game at Burnley down there. <clears throat> and the actual segregation between the fans is, was only a couple of feet wide. You could never get away with that in Scotland. <laughs> Absolutely no chance you would get away with that in Scotland. You know, there's no fence. It's not even one of those kind of flimsy PVC um, sheetings down. It was literally three yards. You could reach across and shake hands with, with the guy or reach across and punch the guy if you were so inclined on the other side. It was still, obviously, there was a needle, there was an edge, but you know, obviously nothing was getting chucked, nothing was getting thrown. It's kind of closer to what people would maybe want their football experience to be. Okay, well, Richard, you mentioned there, obviously, you mentioned the letter, um, and you mentioned, obviously, the daily, the daily record there. So, to play devil's advocate here, I'll, I'll put this one to you. Are the club wrong to not comment on the fact that someone is refer- that the, the new I'm a major national newspaper... Um, is referring to our supporters as scum for what is a fairly, not really that offensive banner. We know what their game is, don't we? They want to, oh, yes. there's been a lot of discussion about sectarianism this season. They want to kind of ensure that the whole Scottish football is tarred with a brush. And obviously events at Tynecastle and events at Easter Road have helped them do that. I think it's just it was too convenient really to to leave us out in that scenario. But given that that was a game which also saw forty sixty seats destroyed, the toilets in the away end destroyed as well, it, it's quite 
um, an amusingly clear agenda from whoever's in that newsroom. Should the club, club have come out and said something? I don't know. I, I really always think the whole kind of banning uh, journalists from whatever newspaper, I, I, I just think that's a pretty pathetic stance. I don't think it does you any favours. It just makes you look paranoid and a bit timpot. So equally, I don't think we should be reacting to every headline and every newspaper or every remark that comes out. Again, that way madness lies. The bar, though, I mean, it was, I mean, it's, a, it's obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a throwback to 2007, 2008, where um, I wasn't in Nipro. I believe it started there. Um, I know certainly in Madrid, um, every five minutes, the Your Maza Matras song seemed to be getting um, sung into almost, just sending you in a coma state. What, were you, what was your thoughts on that one, Ben? I mean, we didn't really see it from where we were, and then all of a sudden there's photos everywhere and social media, it's like, uh, I mean, it was a difficult one, and I mean, you can understand why Rangers fans would be unhappy with it. I mean, it's antagonising and things like that, but at the same time, I didn't think it went over the line. I think that was well within the confines of what's offensive but acceptable, kind of. I mean, I mean, I thought it was on the edge. I thought I didn't think it went over that line, for to be to be honest. I think the difficulty here is that. It- most Aberdeen fans, certainly most Aberdeen fans that remember those European games will just have a kind of either a wry chuckle to themselves or have a bit of Nam flashback style at how fucking awful that song is. Um, <laughs> whereas to an outsider, you're having to explain what the meaning behind it is. And that immediately puts you on the back foot and immediately it, it just... Uh, and it's the, sing, the whole singling out. And of course you get... People getting carried away with themselves. Oh, that's that's racist in Colombia. Uh, it's a, it's a, no, I'm sure it's as offensive in Colombia as it is in Govan. It's it's meant to be offensive. It's it's not particularly smart or clever. It it wasn't even particularly funny. But I don't, I don't think it's merited quite the reaction it's got. I think the other thing about social media is that there is this desire, this just to look for offence everywhere and in everything. We know how to do it ourselves. I mean, there was a couple of choruses of um, Hello, Hello um, being sung from the Rangers' end once before kick-off and once after they scored. And as I say, that doesn't personally bother me that much. But after the game, I made sure that that got a mention on Twitter. Of course I did. I think it's difficult as well when discussing Morelos because, I mean, it is even the coverage he's received in the media this year, which has been quite strong at some points because he is such a sort of divisive character. And you, you get characters sort of suggesting that some of the coverage is racist and things like that. It's like, well, it's not. Uh, it, 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 a lot of it's just been fair balance. And it's the exact same with that banner last week. People saying, oh, it's racist. I mean, it's not. It's offensive, but it's certainly not racist. One thing I think's for sure anyway is that, certainly in, within, in 2019 anyway, uh, Scottish football has um, a lot more problems than you know, people, people hand-wringing over what is little more than a your mum joke. <laughs> so we're going to move on now anyway We've got the, the upcoming Scottish Cup quarter-final replay to look forward to uh, Now first Richard, um, you obviously mentioned there About a very small segregation um, at, the Burnley, at the Burnley game earlier on this season So Rangers and their apparently wonderful stadium Is unable to handle more than 978, I believe it is, Aberdeen fans Tickets like this went like hot potatoes when they went on sale Very small small away support for what is going to be What is a really really tasty looking cup tie Hot cakes, I think you mean Yeah, that's exactly what I meant (laughs) It's impossible to know exactly what went on here, isn't it? is it just a sort of sensitive uh, tit for tat from Rangers, which has been backed up by Police Scotland? Is it Police Scotland uh, running the show here and running our game and just saying that no, you can't give them any more than 972 supporters? Is it there's a small section of the Aberdeen support out there which which is always desperate, it seems, to see their own club be the sort of bad man in this and is it was it the fact that Aberdeen only requested 972 fans well our SLO officer came out on Twitter and said that no we'd requested more than that uh, the two two and a half thousand that come on it got would probably be an ideal the fact are it's probably a police Scotland decision um, it's, prob- it's probably what's happened uh, both clubs probably have little option other than to accept that 
much the same went for the first game as well, to be perfectly honest. Could we have accommodated 4,000 visiting fans? Yeah, probably. We, we did it before for many seasons using the same uh, sort of turnstiles. Obviously, there's been a fence taken down since then, and you know what was a, a fence you could uh, that had a door in it that you could open the door. Obviously, for games where you had a bigger travelling support, I think that door has been taken away. So maybe things might be a little bit harder than they used to be, but probably with enough notice, with enough time, they could have got the four thousand allocation. But it's obviously only a couple of weeks between games. Police Scotland are saying. No, we're going to have an easy life for ourselves. You're just going to have a standard allocation. It's unfortunate for the game. It's unfortunate for the tie because it means it just feels like a, a normal league game. And it shouldn't. The Scottish Cup, any cup tie, should feel different. And it, it would have been fabulous to be in a situation where we had three, 4,000 down there uh, making a hell of a racket. But it's not to be. And it seems like it probably won't ever be that way ever again for a cup tie, which which is a real shame, to be perfectly honest. A real shame that we can't have that. It seems like the police are kind of running the show as far as that goes. No, I, I totally agree. It was the exact same for the first game at Petaudry in terms of Police Scotland deciding how much um, tickets the away team got. And I, I believe that to be the exact same case at Ibrox on Tuesday. I don't think there's anything sinister going on in terms of Rangers saying, well, you didn't give us... Uh, so many tickets so we're not going to give you I, I do genuinely just think it's a police issue and, and nothing more Well let's get on to the on-field on stuff uh, Sam Cosgrove, Ben is unfortunately going to be unavailable, the goal machine's not going to be there. Before yesterday's first half I would have um, been fully on board with suggesting that James Wilson, James Wilson would play um, not so convinced now Stevie May as we've spoken about earlier on um, isn't really looking like um, like like the player that he was or could be. Um, do either of them deserve the chance, or should we go maybe something different? Maybe Greg Stewart through the middle. Um, no, I mean, I wouldn't imagine James Wilson will start this game. Um, I mean, what a disappointment he's been this season. Uh, I mean, he's getting to the stage. His contract's up at Old Trafford, and I mean, I think it would be very unlikely that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer offers him new terms in the summer. Um, so I mean he's looking at his future now He needs to start scoring goals Just to just to see what level of football he's going to be playing at next season Because it certainly won't be the Premier League, the Championship He's looking at League 1, League 2 now for his career I think it'll be Stevie May who starts on Tuesday um, But I get the argument for Greg Stewart starting through the middle It all depends on who's fit as well Is McGinn going to be fit? Is Gary McKay Steven going to be fit? I think it all, what it'll ultimately come down to is who's fit and available for this game but if you're going to be choosing one of either May or Wilson, it's going to have to be Stevie May. It has to be. James Wilson played himself out of a League Cup final uh, start by his performance the week before at Motherwell. And I think he's probably done much the same here, to be perfectly honest, with his display at Parkhead. Because I could certainly have seen the um, the sense and having, say, Wilson with uh, Greg Stewart behind him uh, to kickstart things. And then, obviously, uh, McLennan and one of either McGinn or Mackay Stephen wide left. The prognosis from the manager after the game on Saturday was encouraging with regards to both Mackay Stephen and McGinn, so hopefully they'll both be available come Tuesday. You know, we know that he's got a history of misdirection as far as these things go, so, um, so we'll see what the actual outcome is there. I think it would be very important to get one of them. I, I, I thought it was a real shame Mackay Stephen went off so early in the first game. I thought his pace would have been really important to get at the Rangers backline, especially um, because we know that their full-backs like to, like to bomb forward. The interesting thing for us is that we seem to have finally learned how to defend down in Glasgow. It's a big shame, obviously, that it's happened at the same time as we can't now beat the likes of Hamilton and Samoan at home, but, you know, it, it, maybe that's a trade-off that we have to take. But we've only conceded, I think, two goals in the last six trips to either Ibrox, Parkhead or Hamden. Which is which is a pretty decent record. Obviously, that can all get torn apart very quickly in the space of half an hour on, on Tuesday night. But but there seems a solidity about this team, and not only that, a belief that they can actually go there and do something. And I think that that is going to be important. That I, I, I think the people in that dressing room do genuinely believe that they can go there and win, and they should do because they've got very recent experience of doing it. I think you see the superstition as well when Aberdeen <coughs> lost the Betfred Cup final to Celtic. Uh, back in November December time we stayed down in Glasgow until the midweek game 
with Rangers and then of course we beat them down there and we're doing the exact same this time around we're staying down in Cumbernauld we're training at Clyde tomorrow um, but I mean something that Aberdeen have to tap into on Tuesday night is just how much pressure Rangers are under Steven Gerrard built up that first game like it was their cup final this is what will if we win this game um, well if we lose this game that's our season over that's, that's pretty much what he was saying on Tuesday night we'll be 50,000 Rangers fans probably pretty nervous about I mean, what this could mean for our side season because we won't win the league and really their only chance of, well, Gerrard's only chance of a trophy is the Scottish Cup so I mean it's a huge game for him to prove that he's been a, he's have a, had a good first season I suppose in uh, Ibrox yeah, absolutely, and it's, I think it's important that we, that we play on that and uh, the imperative thing. I mean, it, it went perfectly in the league game, didn't it? We scored after nine minutes ourselves, yeah. and, and that was A, something for us to hang on to, and B, uh, it obviously gets the home uh, support on edge. So uh, it's it's all those tedious cliches about keeping it tight, getting the home support on the back. And, you know, they, like us, are a very impatient lot, and it won't take too much before they, they start gurning. I think we can be we can be fairly confident of being being solid defensively, but the concern is clearly going forward, and, and it's just that fluency which we've shown really rarely over the past eighteen to twenty one months. To be perfectly honest, we always mention this against them um, about how how to approach this game. Ben, um, would a repeat of the second half on Saturday with that lineup would would you think that would yield a positive result for us? I would think so. Uh, I think the main thing we're playing against Rangers is dealing with Morelos. Now, in the last game for Todrick, Constantine had one of his best performances of the season and McKenna handled him incredibly well. That, first and foremost, when playing against this Rangers team is dealing with Morelos. If you can do that, then you've got every chance of getting a positive result. I mean, I, I thought the home game, I, we we absolutely dominated that. I think, and the XG numbers bear that out. I think, I, yeah. I, I don't think I've seen anything like that from us in quite some time. I think it was something like three and a half to a half. It, it, it was very dominant. And we, we should be kicking ourselves that we actually have to go to this replay in the first place. And it, it it's almost as if that would serve as a, a, a fitting epitaph for Dermot McInnes rain in a lot of ways, you know, that we we just haven't taken our chances uh, when they presented themselves and uh, we really should already be in the semi-final. But we can take a lot of heart from the way we played, the way that tactically we really did outdo them. Moving um, Conor McLennan into that uh, sort of centre midfield two with Graham Shinney, it put huge amount of pressure on both Ryan Jack and... Glenn Kamara. Glenn Kamara, who they signed from Dundee, really negated their influence. In the 4-2 league game, Ryan Jack had a very, very good game. He was misplacing passes, um, you know, making mistakes, making errors. I don't hugely rate Kamara, but whether they'll play with two sitting central midfielders at home is maybe another issue. You're absolutely right, dealing with Morelos and also probably dealing with uh, Arfield as well, who I think is probably the reason that uh, Morelos has scored a lot of his goals, is going to be key for us. But I think we can take a lot of heart from that first leg and, and we maybe don't need to deviate too much from that approach, although obviously we have the question mark of what to do up front. I think Rangers have been quite predictable this season in terms of how we set up. It's always this 4-3-3 kind of thing. They almost always have two sitting midfielders and then Scott Arfield sitting just in behind Morelos. So for that sense, McKinnish, I mean, we'll probably have a very good idea of how they'll line up on Tuesday night. For most games, that they've been getting a lot of joy out. Why can't they at St Kent? Yeah. And... It almost worries me how well Dom Ball's done the last few weeks because you just kind of think that there's an absolute howling performance to come. So uh, I sincerely hope it isn't on Tuesday. I'll take listen, Livingston. You can have the three points on Saturday as long as we can get through on Tuesday. And of course, uh, Richard, the game's not going to be on TV um, due to some stupid, you no know, stupid broadcasting rules. So. Uh, unfortunately, it's you no know, the, the, the whole of Aberdeen is going to be illegal stream central, isn't it? Well, I don't even know if there's going to be any. I don't think the Red TV have any feeds. I'm not sure Rangers TV will be allowed to do, to do anything either, to be perfectly honest. I think even if any of the club feeds um, produce anything, it falls under UEFA guidelines, which is a total nonsense, obviously. I mean, I mean, we have spoken about this year how good a product 
Scottish football is. I mean, out with all of the or barring all of the sort of negative headlines in recent weeks, but but, but that one of the biggest games of the season will not be broadcast on any television is just absolutely ludicrous. It just beggars belief. Although you know, part of this could be solved if we played fewer league games and and saved up some of the the midweek. Which we which we currently play league games in at this time of the year for cup replays. So you know if we went down to a ten team top league and went down to thirty six games instead of thirty eight, we could we could actually get around this ourselves. I, I do think it's a nonsense that you have to black out so many midweeks, but it's been that way for a number of years now, hasn't it? Oh, I mean, I mean, the clubs can get around it. All we need to do is pay a fine. Yeah, but um, I mean, I, I can't see Rangers um, stumping that up to be honest. Can't, I can't believe you opened the, the league reconstruction can of worms ever so briefly there, Richard. <laughs> you know my take on it. Yeah, <laughs> we've done it plenty of times. And what we, ha- what we do have to look forward to, um, you know, is I, well, if we get through, um, a, a tie Celtic at Hamden awaits, awaits the winners. Um, and like I mentioned earlier on, Ben, they'll be thinking the same as we are, whereas, you know, that are... Uh, and that Neil Lennon team in one-off games can be gotten at. You know, you're looking at a really, you're looking at a big chance there. Mm-hmm. And I think what you mentioned as well, Aberdeen's attitude going to Glasgow this season's been a lot better. It's been a lot more edgy, a lot more bullish. And I mean, I think there is a bit of confidence going down to Glasgow now. And <laughs> I mean, of course, I could be made to eat once on Tuesday night, but um, I think if Aberdeen can navigate my way through. The quarter-final against Rangers But we should have every confidence against Celtic Because there is a huge difference Between Rodgers Celtic and Lennon Celtic In my opinion Yeah, Neil Lennon Celtic in a domestic cup semi-final What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go <laughs> Well, well let, let's just hope um, Tuesday yields us a positive result And we can get there We'll be glued to Radio Scotland, I assume, then, if um, we can't find any illegal streams. <laughs> I don't know how Radio Scotland uh, are going to get their footage. But <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good point. Actually. They'll have someone on their phone um, sitting in sitting in their way section, probably, I imagine. Periscope to the rescue. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's our show this week. Um, I want to thank Ben Power for coming on. Ben, it's, all, it's always a pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me on. Pleasure. And, Richard, um, it's been a pleasure once again with you. Oh, thank you. I, I hope you're doing well, Martin. I'm, I'm great, thanks, Richard. Thank you very much. So, yeah, we'll be back with you next week where we'll hopefully be celebrating um, reaching a Scottish Cup semi-final. Come on, you Reds. 